you know, we dated and after a few dates, you're at that point where you're like, Hey, um, I think it's time we take the next step. We're going to have to trade scripts <laughs> because if she's not a good writer, I, I can't. Right. And she's the same way. Like if he's a hack, I can't. Right. Even worse if they think they're good when they're not. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's, that's happened too. Hello, and welcome to the Circle 5 Podcast. My name is Mallory Patrick Pollard. I'm an artist from Los Angeles, California. Circle 5 is a podcast dedicated to conversations with artists and creative professionals where we discuss the topic of work, life, and creative balance. From my personal experience, I believe that there are five different circles of relationships or circles of social interaction that exist inside the life of every artist. I'm curious to know how these circles have impacted my guests and how they navigate them in their day-to-day -day lives. As always, I feel so fortunate to speak with artists who are longtime friends or new acquaintances. And for this episode, I did something a little different. I had two guests at once. This episode will feature Tarina Elizabeth Bell, a writer and publicist from New York, New York, and David Scott Hay, a novelist and self-proclaimed seeker from here in Los Angeles, California. As I just mentioned, Tarina is a fiction writer and book publicist. Her debut short story collection, Tell Me What You See, was published in December of 2022. It contains 10 short stories about climate change, the coronavirus pandemic, the invasion of the U.S. Capitol, and other current events. It was a Ms. Magazine Pick of the Month and a New York Foundation for the Arts City Artist Core winner. McNeese Review called it innovative, topical, and fresh, emotional, chaotic, and important. And Southern Review of Books wrote, readers will easily compare Bell with many greats of our time. David, for his bio, wrote that he makes a mean old-fashioned cocktail and the best ribs on the block. It's an absolute shame that I didn't get around to asking him about that. In his creative life, David Scott Hay is an award-winning playwright and screenwriter. As a novelist, he is a two-time Kirkus Prize nominee, and he is an active member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association and the Horror Writers Association. His social media horror novel, NSFW, or Not Safe for Work, was published in February of 2023. His previous novel, a satire entitled The Fountain, was published in March of 2022. Both of David's novels, along with Tarina's short story collection, were published by a Brooklyn-based independent publisher entitled Whiskey Tit. This publisher is their professional connection, and we get into that and much more in our conversation. As always, I apologize to my guests for the lengthy delay in publishing, as this conversation took place months ago. For once, the delay was for a very good reason. Please listen to the segment I published before this episode entitled One with Love, and that will explain everything. Thanks again for listening to the Circle 5 podcast, and without any further ado, here's my talk with Tarina Elizabeth Bell and David Scott Hay. Tarina and David, it is a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got it going. Thanks for being guests on the Circle 5 podcast. Thank you for having us on. Thanks, Mallory. <laughs> yeah, you're very, very welcome. This is a first for the podcast, as I said in the intro. I have two guests at once, so I'm excited to see how this will work with the format of talking about different circles of relationships. Usually where I start is with the meet cute, how do I know my guests? And I'm so happy that this is what growth of a podcast is about. I now have what I like to think of as a second tier guest. Terena knows Caitlin Kelly. You can scroll back a little bit and see Caitlin Kelly's episode. They know each other from the American Society of Journalists and Authors Conference from, I'm assuming this is pre-COVID. And so, Terena, you can speak a little bit about how you met Caitlin. And really what I'm most interested in in this meet cute section is how you two knew each other. So if you would love to tell that story, I'd love to uh, listen to it. Yeah. Um, Caitlin was a speaker. It was actually the first ASJA conference that I'd been to. It was here in New York. 
And um, Caitlin was speaking. Both of us were freelance reporters at the time, but she freelanced enough with New York Times that they were pretty much like a principal client. And, you know, they might as well have made her an employee, but for various reasons we won't get into, there are a lot of reasons that newspapers are, are keeping people as freelancers instead of staff. But she did a presentation on basically how to write with the New York Times. And I received their Arlene Eisenberger Award at the event, which is given to news reporting that makes a difference um, for a piece I wrote for The Atlantic. You know, so as speakers and award winners tend to do, we mingled and then started following each other on Twitter and that sort of thing. And speaking of Twitter, that actually has to do with how I found David in a way. I am a published author at Whiskey Tit, which is the same press that has published David's two wonderful novels, Not Safe for Work, spelled N-S-F-W, and The Fountain. But the way that I found Whiskey Tit was originally through Twitter. They have a literary journal in addition to the publication, and they had tweeted something about it being open for a call for submissions. So I sent them a short story. They loved it. I went to another conference, the Associated. What, David, what does AWP even stand for? Association um, of Writers. Like Association and, of Writers and Writing Writing Programs, I believe. But there's only one W, like the SFWA should be the SFFWA. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I went to it and um, I went by their booth to thank them for publishing my story. And the publisher was like, hey, why don't you send us something book length? So I did. They fell in love with it. Um, They published it. The book's called Tell Me What You See. And then after it came out, um, I was laid off during the pandemic, but I'd always done PR. So I decided it was like, well, you know, I love promoting them. Their authors are all wonderful. And I'm not just saying that because I'm one. I'm saying one because David is one. They're all wonderful. And Mia Gillette, who is the publisher there, you know, she said she was going to start recommending me to artists who are on, I think to say on the label, I guess with the press is the better way to put that. I always say on the label. It's cool. Yeah. I always say label mates. It's like we're a record company. It makes more sense. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm Southern, so I have a long story for short answers. So there you go. <laughs> no, that's okay. We're, we'll get into that. I, uh, By birth, I'm a Southerner as well. We'll definitely get into that. And um, this is the first time we have met. So usually that meet cute section is like, and what have your impressions been of me over the years? And that doesn't apply here. So the question I will ask, and David, I'll turn this one to you, is, you know, why do you want to be on this podcast? I mean, I'm a new guy in your life. You have no idea who I am, but you're willing to come on and do a podcast about work-life creative balance. What about that sounded attractive? to you? Well, I like to chat about the craft, uh, life. And also, you know, there were people when I was starting out that gave me the time of day and lent their time and expertise and helped me on my way and, you know, practice and, you know, your craft is the way people make, you know, leaps and bounds and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I'll talk if you've got, you know, a thousand listeners, if you've got two, if you've got a hundred thousand, like, it doesn't bother me. It's all the same on this end. You know, I'm crunched up against my bookshelf of the thing so I can get my books in the back. And we had a great bit, uh, just, you know, try to get the technical stuff scored away. So it's all, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's all good. And like you said, it's all, it's all connections. You just, and you just never know where connection is going to be, you know, how long it's going to last. And, you know, why not? Joseph Campbell, the way of the warriors to say yes. There it is. That's so perfect. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, yeah, thanks for being on a, a new new podcast. And we're going to get into this thing. It's the Circle 5 podcast. We already all know that. And what we do is a bit of a deep dive into the relationships of your life. I counted out for my own sanity five different circles of relationships. And let's just do it, man. I, I'm ready to jump in if you all are. Go all for right. it. Let's do it. We'll obviously start with Circle 1. I consider Circle 1 of relationships to be family. 
We'll start with you, Tarina, and then whoever ends the circle, we'll start off the next one. We'll just kind of go back and forth. And if there's anything that you all say in this that's surprising to you, being friends, then feel free to jump in. We start with your origins. Where are you from, born and raised? Yeah, I am from Sinking Fort, Kentucky, which is in Christian County on the Tennessee border. I tell people that it's the squiggly part of the state where it kind of pinches together on the the west-hand side. But anyway, um, Sinking Fork is a community so small that I grew up, my grandfather telling me stories about them taking the post office away. And I thought that they took the post office away when he was a kid. Turns out they took it away when his grandfather was a kid. So it's kind of an obscure point on the former map. But um, I did raise it, was raised in a two-parent household, had both my mother and my father there. My father drove a delivery truck for Coca-Cola. Um, and mom was stay-at-home or bank teller until I was in middle school. And I'm very proud of her for going back to get her degree. And she became a kindergarten teacher after that. Got one brother, Matthew. And um, we spent, it's funny, I used to tell people that I was raised by my grandparents. Um, and mom would get kind of mad about that and say, you know, or, or your daddy and me chopped liver. <laughs> you know, and I said, well, it just means, you know, we were over there pretty much every day. And You know, and when mom went back to get her degree and when she was at the bank, um, if we weren't in school, we would stay at grandma and grandpa's. You know, so that's what I mean when I when I say that. And my mom says, well, in other words, you just had a a normal family. And I had to tell her, I was like, mom, I was like, you know, like outside of, of rural Kentucky, you know, I was like, and even within rural Kentucky, like not a lot of people have the blessing of having that many extended family members around them on a daily basis. But uh, I did. Her family, my dad's family is just him and his brother um, and their mom. But my mom's family is absolutely huge. So I probably had about 30 cousins, you know, that I grew up with and more than that besides that were just older than me. So did grandma teach you the old ways? <laughs> well, when when you talk about the old artistic ways, yes. This is about how these circles are in our lives, but it's also about how it interconnects with our creativity and makes us the artists that we are. My grandmother was a painter, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit to circle two, which is community. She took me to art guild meetings with her. Uh. And it's funny because when I published my book, Tell Me What You See, last December, I actually did my launch party with the Hopkinsville, Kentucky Art Guild. You know, at the time, I thought, well, I'm really cool. And, you know, now I'm becoming an artist and I'm learning all of this about paint and charcoal and, you know, and how pictures come together and ways to see the world. And really, grandma just had nowhere to leave me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but they were they were great. And then my father draws. Um, My mother was a dancer before she had me. You know, my other grandmother, my dad's mom, she whittled. You know, so many of my cousins on both sides actually are musicians. Like I've got a cousin that he played at the Grand Ole Opry. You know, so the thing about rural Kentucky um, that I think a lot of people don't realize is that everybody arts. It's just part of our culture. It's part of who we are. And, you know, it's that Maslow hierarchy of needs to where in any socioeconomic strata, you are going to find art as a need. And, you know, there's just there's just some beautiful untold of like there's a a national quilting museum that I grew up relatively close to, you know, everybody back home arted in some way. So and I'm just now realizing that arted sounds like farted, but maybe that's when we go to you, David. <laughs> that's a great segue. Uh, David, what are your thoughts on farting and arting? And- I don't I don't know that that's a great segue. <laughs> 
That's good to hear that art obviously was so influential and important in your family because that's something I'm always curious about. You know, where does it begin for you? And it sounds like grandma planted that seed for you and that was really wonderful. Okay, now I will segue to you, David. <laughs> we'll get off of farting. But uh, <laughs> of course, similar <laughs> similar question for you of where did uh, it all begin for you, born and raised, and, and what was the family's influence for you when it came to being creative and artistic? I was born and raised in Oklahoma City. Uh, so you'll get a little bit of an Okie accent, even though I haven't been back there in a few decades. My parents were not creatives, but they knew at an early age that I liked to read. Um, I would read anything I get my hands on, comic books, you know, fantasy books, anything. So they made a deal with me when I was younger that my bedtime, you know, my bedtime when I was little, you know, was eight, but I could stay up till 8.30 if I was stayed up reading. And I always joke that I haven't slept since. So while they weren't creative, I mean, my grandma was a painter in, in the way that, you know, Bob Ross is a painter, right? She, you know, did the, the landscapes and things like that and played piano at the church. But they always kind of exposed me, you know, we go to the, uh, like the planetarium, we'd go to the zoo. They introduced me to a lot of things uh, and the library, you know, and that was the best place to go. The, the library I went to had uh, one of those like, carpeted uh, castle towers in the middle of it. So you could get your kids books and go and read and hide out and stuff. And I would just, you know, I would just peruse the book stack and, you know, bring home a, a book on falconry, 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 uh, on how to train falcons. And then it got in my mind, they're like, oh, I, I'm going to, how do you get a falcon now? Of course, my parents are like, well, that's not going to happen. Uh, so then I get a book on card tricks and, you know, just read anything and everything. It was all fascinating. You know, it's like the physical form of Google, right? And then I just, uh, I end up having a knack for writing. I, I saw this other podcast I, when I was in eighth grade, my creative writing class, I wrote a hundred page sequel to the Hobbit. You know, I just, I just love making up stuff and, you know, learning the craft of writing and, um, but, and this will lead into our second, uh, the second question I know, but because I was, I was in Oklahoma city and, you know, as I got older, I had an interest in film and there was no real, at that time, there was no industry in Oklahoma City to, you know, learn film or to participate or to crew up or to learn these things. And I knew at some point that I was going to have to leave. And, you know, California was always on my mind, which is where I am now. But I actually ended up moving to San Antonio was my first stop on my journey. And a lot of I think that's the same thing for a lot of creatives is they're essentially orphans. You know, they had to leave their family to pursue their passions. Right. And that's a uh, you know, it's kind of bittersweet. I know, you know, the parents are happy to see you go out into the world and pursue these endeavors, but at the same time too, you don't get to see them as often during the year or to raise up and uh, gotcha. So that's it. You got to go back and blurb this one. No, no, no. It's 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 all good. I think uh, for the listeners, we'll give a little behind the scenes. Uh, David said the gotcha <laughs> thing because I've got a, you know it's a little podcasting trick, a little producing trick. I throw I throw up a little a signal of I'd like to ask the next question. So David warned me pre episode. I got the yellow right? card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the, <laughs> but no, it, it's you. You got into something that is absolutely wonderful, and it's true. The idea of like orphans in a way that you have to leave that family nest. Uh, so I'll I'll bring this back to family and ask this question to you both. It sounds like they were relatively supportive of you wanting to be creative, but yeah, was there a prescribed profession that they saw for you and was deciding to be an artist, some kind of rebellion against that, or they were on board with it? Uh, my, my dad always had it in mind that I was going to be an engineer. And you know, at the time we started pushing that, I wasn't exactly sure what that entailed, but I knew it entailed a lot of math. And uh, my dad recently told somebody that I wasn't very good at math when I was, you know, a kid, and I had to I had to remind him that I had dropped out of AP calculus in high school. So it's like <laughs> I was pretty good up to a point, 
And then it just got too abstract for me. And I, I preferred language to numbers and variables and derivatives and knew that I was interested in writing. And I wasn't sure what my career would end up being. And I knew that, you know, at that time in our timeline, we, you, need, you, you needed to have a degree. And it didn't really matter what the degree was in if you weren't going into the stint. And I wanted to pursue, you know, writing and literature. And uh, so went that way and worked uh, day jobs for a long, long time until I was able to transition to full-time writing. Uh, so it wasn't really a rebellion. It was just more of a, I, I'm good at this. I like this. It's interesting. And there's always something to learn. And the books never stop. They never stop making books. That's Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And uh, Tarina, for you, yeah, similar question. It sounds like your family, there was a lot of arting going on. So no prescribed path. They said, yeah, be creative, be a writer, be whatever you'd like to be. Well, my grandmother did. And this actually goes towards some of what David was talking about, about um, I never would have thought of it as far as being orphaned before. You know, we kind of have to leave, at least those of us who are from, you know, small rural areas, you know, or not from the coastal kind of hubs for art, you know, which I would add Atlanta to that. Um, they've got a really strong burgeoning literary scene down there. But how we kind of have to leave and disconnect from who we are or what we're doing or what is around us. But then we seek out artistic community when we get to these new places, you know, which part of his deal with his characters, you know, not to go on about the book forever, but it's just interesting when you hear somebody say something and you're like, oh, now that I know this about you as a person, it makes your writing have a new layer to me. You know, but he has these characters that they're having to disconnect from everything that they see at their day jobs. And then they're having to strive for new connection when they're off the clock. You know, so wait, that's that looks like he's holding up. It looks like a green bag, but it's pink that's on that's the other true. side now. I guess that's actually the, the bag. No, but my dad. It's time to move on, Tarina. Move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so much for the discreetness of that, everybody. Where's yeah? It's uh, uh, no. okay. It's, it's, you realize listeners love this behind the scene. Of course. Only on this episode, friends, do you learn what really happens. Yeah, but my I would like to yield my time to yeah. to the madam from Kentucky to continue talking about my book. Yeah, no, my my dad, uh, my dad wanted me to be a doctor, um, but that was more because he he you know he he was not from a wealthy or middle class family, and so that to him was a profession that he thought I could do well and I would never be hungry at. But uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she constantly told me um, that I was going to write when I grew up and she had full confidence and um, she kind of helped me publish a little book with ribbon when I was a kid. And she always told me I had to get out. And I heard that since I was probably five or six years old, that I was going to grow up and get out. And it wasn't that Kentucky was a horrible place. Kentucky is a beautiful and wonderful place. But small towns can be limiting when you are at a certain stage in your career development. And she knew that. So, yeah. Oh, wow. No, that's thank you both for that. You all have been uh, touching on the other circles already. And that that's the beautiful thing about this conversation is I learned that it isn't a compartmentalized experience of living in relationships. But we will transition into circle two. And I'll start with you, Tarina. So Kentucky, the circle two stuff is like those K through 12 years you know, who was around you in school? Who were the friendships? Because I'm curious to know, if you're both writers, that could be a very intrinsic and you can do by yourself. Honestly, the question I'm trying to get to, this is a very long round on question, listeners, but who's still around from that time in your life? Did you have people you were friendly with and creative with back then that still are with you now or not? 
that's a weird long question. I think you get the. I got it though. though. I got it. I got an answer. Yeah, I, yeah, an I answer. think you guys are you're smart. Go ahead, Trina. You first, and I, David's already got. It. I was just going to say now you're making me kind of sad because Uh-oh. the answer to who I spent a lot of my time with were old people, and now that I'm in my 40s, they're not around anymore. <laughs> okay, but in a completely different way than than what I think you meant. My grandmother, her sister, my aunt Sue, the two of them worked very hard to get me into Super Saturday creative writing programs, like at the community college you know, and things like that, you know, and there were all of these older people in the art guild, you know, and that kind of thing. You know, it was pretty isolated. I self-isolated a lot because I didn't want to play, you know, softball. I didn't want to play basketball. I wanted to read. Like I even bought, brought a book once to a birthday party, um, which if we want to translate further into adulthood, which I'm going to force you to talk about multiple circles at a time, Mallory. I love it. No, this is um, Yeah, wonderful. I even... I even used to bring a book on dates in case he was boring. <laughs> you know, so it's better than getting the chamomile tea bag. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, but well, you, David, you will learn to respect the tea bag. Okay, keep yeah. us going. Keep going. But uh, no, but I, I was just surrounded by older people. But it's funny because when you look at that, at what I wrote about when I was younger and stuff, like I've never written about college people drunk in the back of a car. You know, like like I started out, I went to Kentucky Governor's School for the Arts in between my 11th and 12th grade year. And the story that I got in with was about these kids that die in a creek in front of the church. You know, and it makes sense because, you know, like when your best friends are in their 70s. <laughs> like <laughs> that'll, that'll do it. I totally understand what you're getting at. I do have high school friends that I'm still in touch with and, you know, meet up with when I'm home and you know, and then you see other people from when you were younger out and about town and um, and they have all proudly bought my book and, you know, will retweet things or repost on LinkedIn or whatever. So, but as far as artistically, like I really did just hang out with a bunch of old people. <laughs> no, that's that. Thank you for that honest answer. And that's actually the first I've heard of that answer because my experience and the reason I always bring that up is most people are like, ah, oh, maybe one or two people from their high school life are still in their life. Literally about a hundred or more people from that time in my life are still presently a part of my life. And that's why I'm curious about Circle Two in particular is traditionally people from that time in your life kind of fade away. And that has not been my experience. So I'll turn that this now over to you, David. Same kind of question of, you know, those K through 12 years, who were some of your buddies? Were they creatively connected to you at all? And how did those relationships even still maybe exist uh, in your present life? Let's say K through 12, uh, that was Oklahoma. I didn't move until after college. One of my best friends I've known since third grade, fourth grade. We did the Cub Scouts, we below Scout thing, and then we ended up going to college together. Uh, he got married, went off to get his master's in law school. And he was one that, I don't know, we just kind of we're always in each other's orbit. I think we, we really bonded in high school. We dated twins for uh, for a few years. And that was kind of, uh, you know, we kind of became twins in a respect as well. <laughs> but uh, he is, he's now my uh, go-to lawyer for uh, a number of things. And uh, I love his kids. He's got four kids. I have one. He is uh, still in my life. And then I have a dear friend of mine that we did theater in high school. And as far as the creatives, I think Mickey Manning. She and I were probably the only ones that I, I'm aware of that left and stayed left. Uh, I know a few left and studied theater here or there and then came back. But she, uh, she got out, moved to Vegas and became a performer, singer, makeup, photographer, did, you know, all the things. And that is probably about it. Uh, you know, a few, a few people, you know, on Facebook, you know, here and there. But 
most of my class, from what I remember, most of them are still in Oklahoma and still kind of travel in the same circles, which I find odd because I don't, I don't think about high school ever. So yeah, but that's a, that's a, you know, I I pulled a geographic a couple of times and I knew in terms of what I wanted to pursue in terms of writing and the arts, that was not the community for me. It was not going to be able to enrich, enrich my life in the ways that I wanted it to be enriched. And also I just wanted to see, you know, what the world had to offer. So I ran off and joined the circus. <laughs> Thank you. That's such a perfect answer. And we're actually kind of through the first two circles that quickly. I'm loving this episode. I'm loving the responses from both of you. I'm appreciating it so much. So this is the Circle 5 podcast, a great conversation with Tarina Bell and David Scott Hay. We'll be right back after a short break. Hey, Circle 5, this is Eddie Firth, host of No Laughing, the only live comedy show where you can win cash and prizes. At No Laughing, we pull contestants from the audience, and if you can last three one-minute rounds of comedy without laughing, you win $20 and a No Laughing t-shirt. It's kind of like if Whose Line Is It Anyway meant Price is Right, or if you just sort of mashed up SNL and Family Feud. It's always so much fun. Our next show is Friday, February 23rd at 9.45 p.m. at the Hollywood Improv on Melrose. So you got to come check it out. We have an incredible lineup. Taylor Williamson will be there. And then you'll have to try to survive rounds of comedy from Carmen Morales, Matt McCarthy, Jay Washington, Willie Simon, and Maxie Wittrack. It's going to be an incredible show Friday. February 23rd at 9.45 p.m. at the Hollywood Improv. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram for more shows at No Laughing Show. Come on out. Try to win cash. No laughing. This is serious. Hello and welcome back to the Circle 5 podcast. Having a great conversation with David and Tarina. How are you all feeling? Are you enjoying this? Is it miserable? You can be honest, whatever. How are you feeling? Uh, I think it's a hoot. I've spoken with Tarina many times, but never got to see her actually animated. Uh, She's usually just a still picture on my phone. And my right knee hurts because I'm wedged up against one of my bookshelves. (laughs) I love how how you're saying that I'm animated. I hope that that's more, you know, like Supergirl, Wonder Woman than Bugs Bunny. So, (laughs) you know, they're both classics. (laughs) Really, really wonderful. Um, We're going to move in to the third circle of relationships. I feel like it's a bit loaded, but that's like kind of the college years. I also think of circle three as jobs or any kind of work that was not artistically related. If you worked at a restaurant or, you know, just anything not artistic. And also social groups in the world. Do you do uh, yoga or go to church or go to a therapy group, anything like that? We can start with Tarina on this, but you started talking about your college experience a little bit. You both have, which I appreciate, but Wherever you'd like to start out with Circle 3, uh, if you want to talk about jobs you've had or if you want to talk about college, whatever sings to your heart. It's interesting that you bring up church. And now I'm going backwards a circle, but I am I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I've attended various denominations of Christian churches throughout my life. And the church in a rural area is very important to the, the social calendar and life of the area. I had my first publication when I was 15, and it was a poem. And they announced it in church, Mm. like in worship. So for everybody, people clapped and, you know, and it's funny. So like, it's the reason I bring up my Christianity, um, it's not to make any listeners who are of a different or no faith uncomfortable. 
It is just to say that there's this stigma that I was told when I went to college where, you know, there were other people who were writers and they talked about like the church not encouraging their writing and, you know, and and, and just bunk like that. But I've always found community. And that, of course, I say that I'm not going to church currently, but that for me, like especially in high school, was very important. You know, it was just all these people saying, hey, you're going to make it. And, you know, and when I went to college and this was not a wealthy community, um, when I went to college, some of the women took up an offering for me at the Christian Women's Fellowship, you know, and they were like, maybe this will cover your books or, you know, I wrote on legal pads growing up. And they're like, maybe this will cover your legal pads or this will help you study abroad. So it was very, very caring and restorative like that. And then as far as jobs, uh, I know that this is probably not as related sounding, but it's one of those interesting things that I've never talked about publicly. I worked at a golf course all through college and it was part of my job to clean, which meant going back and getting the brooms and stuff. And it was also part of my job to like restock the Coke machine. And whenever I went back to get, and I wish I could write like this now where you just grab any minute you can get, but I read something about how when William Faulkner was um, working for the Postal Service, he would sit on bags of mail and write back there before he delivered them. And so when I went back to refill the Coke machine, I would sit down on top of the crates and I would hurry up and write out two to three lines. And like, and I went to the bathroom a lot, like it was a state ran golf course. And I went to, I took every single bathroom break that the Commonwealth of Kentucky Department of Labor Laws would allow. And I'd sit in there in the stall and I would try to write, you know, or like when I'd go back to get the mop and stuff, like I'd pull what I'd written out of my pocket and edit, you know, just like on, on these little, like, you know, like, like how golf courses, they have those itty bitty little pencils, you know, so I would just use one of those itty bitty little pencils and those itty bitty little scorecard notepads, you know, and just write stuff on it. And then when I got home, if I could still read it, I'd type it up, you know, so it's funny. You think about youth and all of these things that now as an adult artist, like I'm not active in a church right now, you know, um, I'm not able to just sit down. Now I did scribble out um, a very short nonfiction piece on the subway, but you know, but now um, when I do have those spare moments, I'm using them to brainstorm ideas for my clients like David and others. No, that's perfect. I can relate to that a thousand percent. You know, for me, it was working at a hotel, about 25 years old, had this spark on that 25th birthday. It was like that good quarter life crisis of, wait, you're an artist. My college experience was studying architecture. And I remember working front desk shifts and going online and looking at Nikon cameras that I wanted to buy to start being a photographer. And a boss I had at the time finally just sat me down and asked me, look, how legit are you about photography? And she really pushed me in, in a good direction towards it. But I just remember, yeah, there was almost this weird guilt going on of like, wait, my heart is wanting to think about photography. And yet, so thank you for sharing that about scribbling out notes in between, you know, at golf course bathrooms. I mean, that's, that's to me the essence of what I'm trying to get at in this podcast is that we have different types of relationships, different versions of ourselves, and at times they can collide. So David, I'm going to move on. I, I will uh, turn it over to you in circle three. Any of those three areas, you know, your college experience or jobs you've had that have nothing to do with art or just those extra groups you have out in the world, what is your circle three, you know, what does it consisted of or currently consist of? Well, first of all, I'd like to say you both are slackers <laughs> at your job. Uh, I just stole per hour wages from my employer. That's not slacking. <laughs> yeah, you you were getting you were getting paid to write much earlier than I was. Uh, no, my uh, my college jobs were more of the lines of you know time to lean, time to clean. So there was no writing done on those first few jobs. 
restaurant business. And then I, uh, and then, you know, I got the Holy Grail job in Oklahoma for college students, which is working at UPS. So for four years, I had to be at work at between 3.30 and 4 in the morning, loading those little brown trucks. And uh, yeah, you didn't have, you didn't have time to write. You barely had time to stay awake. And I don't know how I'm not dead on the side of the road because driving back home at eight in the morning into the sun and your eyes are squinting and that Homer Simpson, uh, the episode of the Simpsons where Homer's slowly shutting his eyelids and they take longer and longer <laughs> to open. And suddenly he's, the car is drifting off. Uh, I saw that and went, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. And then a part of your brain goes, uh, last we checked, you were behind the wheel of a Toyota Corolla and you open your eyes and you're like, holy shit, I'm on the highway. Yeah. So no time to write. But in college though, I went into at the university of Oklahoma they have one of the first, oldest, best uh, writing programs. And so I went into that and I studied uh, with Jack Bickham, may he rest in peace, and uh, Deborah Chester, who was uh, did a lot of sci-fi you know, series. And then uh, the last year I was there, Jim Davis, J.M. Davis, James Madison Davis, not the Garfield artist, but he wrote Murder Mysteries. And he was the first one. They, they all they all were really great instructors, but he was the first one that really, because um, at that time I was interested in writing crime and he was the first one to really make some calls on my behalf. I remember him slipping me a copy of the uh, like American Crime Writers Association newsletter and, you know, it had people's agents and stuff. And I was able to kind of go through there and start querying and stuff. So um, so I'd say he was probably my first real mentor. And then a couple of years later, I, I moved to San Antonio. I don't keep in contact, you know, my buddy, Tim, that I, I'd mentioned from fourth grade, I still keep in contact with him, but most of the people I think that I went to school with in that writing program, no longer write. And that was as quick as a year or two later, people just, you know, they did it for class and it was kind of fun, but not as a pursuing it in terms of a career or vocation. Was this your MFA, David? That was my BA. The MFA came much, much later. Oh, okay, good. Because I was sitting there thinking an MFA is an awful expensive career path for for, for fun. Well, it's no, not a cheap but, degree. So yeah, no the the MFA experience was com- was completely different. You had a lot of people in the our MFA program that I think the average age was forty. So you had a lot of people that were kind of doing it as a second career, or they always wanted to pursue writing. And now that their kids are in college or out of college or you know raising their own families, came back to it. And I know our class in particular, I think there's 10 of us that are published and then some that never did anything, you know, writing wise after they graduated. So, but that's a whole other circle later. And I have, I have a circle story when, whenever it fits into MFA, because this isn't. We're, we're in that circle now, David, please go ahead. I won't splash the tea bag at you. So what's this MFA circle story? Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So I, I decided, uh, I love teaching. I'd done a couple of, uh, playwriting residencies at the William Inch Center in Kansas and taught high school and college and decided I really loved teaching. And at one point, I uh, decided to go get my MFA in fiction, stage and screen. And I'd already had credits, you know, I think at that point, I'd, I'd had film credits already. And I'd had some publishing credits as well, uh, certainly produced as a playwright. But I was one of those things where I wanted to get into a system and a program where if I did the work, I would be rewarded, which is, you know, there's no guarantee in that with writing period, but I was just at that, at that time, I wanted to do that. Also, because I had the experience and the credits, I wanted the, the MFA. So in case a teaching opportunity came along the way, I would have that covered. And I remember, I remember distinctly, uh, and you're going to kick out of this, Trina, going through a couple of the classes and pods and workshops at this thing. And uh, Anna Dixon James introducing me to friend Hobie Anthony. And he was a cool cat. And he was one of these guys that was serious about writing. We kept in contact. 
And when uh, Whiskey Tit published his book, Silverfish, you know, he let me, I was like, hey, that short story I worked on, I turned into a novel and Whiskey Tit picked it up. And I was like, Whiskey Tit, hmm, <laughs> tell me more about Whiskey Tit. I would like to know more about this publisher. So he told me about her and I submitted my master's thesis because I'd had a contract with it. And I got out of that contract. I didn't, uh, something fishy about that group. And 10 years later, they're being sued by everybody and their dog. So uh, so I just kind of sat on this manuscript and occasionally I would send it out while I was working in you know TV and film and stuff. And uh, long story short, Miette picked it up, published it. And a fan of that was Anna James Dixon or Anna Dixon James in our MFA program. And I was just like, hey, you remember that character you love so much? Well, guess what? She's going to she's she's made it. She's going to be published. And she was like, great. And I, we talked about this on another uh, podcast and I said, are you still writing? Because there was a lot of us that, you know, that hadn't, you know, it's just a question, like, are you still writing? And she was, but she hadn't been submitting. She'd been writing for three or four years, these short stories, but hadn't submitted anything in a while. She wasn't uh, having good luck or, you know, she was in the same contest again and again. And she sent me some stories and I was like, these are amazing. These are beautiful. And so I took a few of them and slipped them to Miette and Miette offered her a book contract on the basis of like three or four short stories. And so I spent the next year working with Anna editing. And this is why I, I say label instead of uh press mates, because I felt more like I was a record producer, right? Like I would just say, Hey, I'm bump up against this. Hey, if thematically your story is about this, according to you, then this ending needs to end on a, be a little bit more thematically correct. And so I worked with her on that, that short story collection. But for me, it was like a come full circle. She introduced me to Hobie, which introduced her to my publisher. And then I introduced her to my publisher. So that's a tight little circle of three that I'm I'm really happy because we all had done the work and for Anna to still be writing these short stories because she had to and not be submitting them was not, you know, she certainly wasn't a careerist and I think she's kind of reinvigorated as well. And uh, so that was kind of a karmically, it was a good feeling. That's amazing. Yeah. David, that actually made me realize I told y'all wrong when uh, Mallory asked how we knew each other. <laughs> <laughs> lies, nothing didn't. but lies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I'm a publicist, right? It kind of comes with the gig. No, but uh, Miette introduced me to Anna and Anna became one of my clients. And then Anna was talking to David about uh, book publicity. And then that's how I met you. I had left her out of the loop on that story. And then when you brought her up, I was like, oh, yeah. We got the truth now. I think now. it might've been two, a couple of things. Cause I remember talking to Miette about your book. I talked to Miette more frequently than than most of the authors, just because I'm, I'm interested in the business of, and I've always got ideas that um, I like to picture. It's interesting. You're bringing this up and like us talking about Hobie, who is another one of the writers with the book. Mm -hmm. It makes me realize that Whiskey Tit, our publisher, actually is a circle. And it's interesting because like I've got friends that they've published with Macmillan or Simon and Schuster or, you know, or whomever. And they don't really get to know the other authors that publish with them the way that we have gotten to know each other. You know, there are times when like there are people that uh, that like I'll promote David's book more than my own or um, or like there are authors, you know, like I don't work with and I'll promote their book just because it's interesting. And then David is an amazing literary citizen. You know, I know people listening at home can't see him, but he has my book behind him right now. You know, and, and, and here I am bragging on him, you know, and he's got my <laughs> book. Behind I was part of the Chicago theater scene, the off-loop uh, scene for, you know, a, a decade plus, 16 years. And when I left theater and moved to California, you know, it's a different thing, film and TV. And there's a, a lot of people from the arts that have, you know, moved out here, a lot of playwrights. And that's one of my, uh, you know, family circles out here are playwrights that have moved into TV and film. And everybody's doing, you know, kind of different things. But I don't have that same kind of tight-knit sense of community 
that I had in Chicago until I was published by a small press. I like to go to, you know, if, if my publisher is going to be at an event, I usually go because, you know, FaceTime with the publisher and meeting other authors and stuff, because not everybody goes to the same one. So and it's for a weekend, you get to hang out with these people whose work you really admire because they're doing the, they have the same kind of mindset and they're doing stuff that's not, you know, super mainstream cookie cutter stuff and really thought provoking. And I really gained a sense of community with that, with the small press folks. And, and yeah, you know, Tarina, you know, uh, you know, she said, you know, I, I've hired her, but there's been times where I'm, I'm texting her as I'm reading her stuff in live time going, I'm reading the fifth fear. Okay. Is it this? Okay. I made that connection there. Is this it? What's the fifth? I guess it's the fifth. Is it this one? Is this the fifth fear? Like in real time. And she was kind enough to responding. And I, I got stuck on a short story of hers that was more like a puzzle. And I was not like, Hey, I'm going to get chummy with my PR person. I was like, no, I'm like, I really want to know what the intention was. Am I getting are the pieces coming together? And some people don't like those kind of stories, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, game on. Let me see if hmm. I can figure this out. But that sense of community, well, what are you doing that's helping promote? What are you doing? Is this working? Are you going to this conference? Who's going to be there? Oh, hey, you should check out these folks. They're doing good stuff. You know, and if I, you know, Trini has an opportunity where we can help out more than one of the one of the authors, any of the small authors. I'm like, sure, jump in there. Let's do a panel instead of just doing a solo speaker. Because it does. And it's just again, you're widening your circle and you're widening your community. And, you know, for me, community is really everything. I absolutely love uh, the small press community and, you know, you meet other publishers and you meet other writers and it's amazing how much stuff of quality that's out there that is just not, you know, uh, getting the spotlight it deserves. Thank you so much for that insight. And as it happened with a friend of mine from Tennessee, you all have just exploded the circles and that's a good thing. So I'm going to roll us into our second break. When we come back, we're going to touch on circle four for a quick second. That's love life. But then I want to get back more into what you're talking about with publishing and with Whiskey Tit. This is all really fascinating. So this is the Circle Five podcast with David Scott Hay and Tarina Bell. We're going to go into a second break and be right back after this. Hi, listeners. It's still Mallory. I wanted to take a moment to share with you a new podcast I've been working on lately. I mentioned it in the intro to this Circle 5 episode. It's called One with Love, Stories from Single Parent Families. It will have guests that are single mothers, single fathers, and the adult children of single mothers. I've created it from a place of curiosity and sympathy, wanting to hear testimonies from a group of people I think have a lot to share with us. What does it take to be a single mom or a single dad? What goes on for the kids of single mothers? I've been so grateful to learn from my first few guests, like my friend Allison from South Pasadena, California. I remember when I had to really own my single momhood, you know, when I'm attending like fundraiser events for my son's school, you know, there's all these parents, they're all paired up, you know what I mean? And I'm like coming by myself. It felt really um, lonely. You know, I think people just don't know how to treat us, but it's becoming a very common living style. You know, I can still do everything. I just can't do it all at once. One with Love will launch soon on March 21st on most major podcast streamers. If you're listening on Spotify, One with Love has its own show page and a trailer available for listening. Thanks and be sure to look out for the One with Love podcast very soon. And now back to Circle Five.
Welcome back again to the Circle 5 podcast. I've been loving my conversation with David and Tarina today. How are you all feeling as we head into this third and final section? Woohoo! <laughs> I am out of coffee. Oh no. All right. Well, we had a wonderful thing happen before the break, which is we started getting into a lot of Circle 5 talk about publishing, putting yourself out there as an author and why that community is so important. But we're going to jump back to Circle 4. So Circle 4 is love life. So actually, Trina, I'll start with you. How has your love life impacted your art and creativity or vice versa? It's interesting that you talk about it impacting the creative sphere. I personally find it to be the other way around where the creative sphere impacts my love life. James Joyce, when he wrote Ulysses, his wife never read it. And you think about that. Now, first off, like when you see how thick Ulysses is, you can kind of understand why she never read it. But at the same time, it's Ulysses. It's one of the great masterpieces through the ages and his own wife never read it. You know, whereas I, um, when I was younger, very much so was constantly handing my work in draft form to my mother, to friends. You know, there was one guy that I dated in my early 20s. And I will say to my defense, he asked to read some of my work. And then he said, it's great. I'd love to read something else anytime. So I gave him something else. And when we broke up, he compared me to a telemarketer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you just keep calling, you know, and it's like, it's like, well, you told me that you wanted to read more. So I gave you more, you know, now, of course, I, you know, there, there were obvious communication and honesty issues there where, where he would tell me it's great. And he didn't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. You know, but um, it did make me realize as an artist I don't want James Joyce's wife. Um, I want somebody who reads my work and is honest when they don't like it. And I need somebody, you know, they don't have to be uh, a fellow writer, don't have to even be a fellow artist, you know, but you do have to understand that that is part of my life. And it's the same way with the publicity business to where there are people that they're not comfortable with somebody who works more than so many hours or, you know, with a, there is financial volatility when you run your own hours and you have clients who come and go because there are points and places where you're going to have more luck promoting a book. You know, so some of my people are only on a two to three month engagement. You know, and so you have to be okay to ride with those changes. And, um, you know, it's funny, we're talking about love life, but a lot of that is friendship also. You know, um, now I do have friends who have not bought my book and that's okay. You know, many of them have recommended it to their local library and checked it out there instead, you know, because financially, you know, books have gotten their 20 bucks a pop now, you know, like not everybody can do that. Like you're single momming it or whatever, you know, so I don't expect, you know, everybody in my life to walk the line, but, you know, whether it's friend, lover, whatever, um, uh, you know, random person on the street that I can put David's book in front of <laughs> you know, or whatever, but no matter who it is life, they do have to be okay with the things that are the largest part of you. You know, like a comedian, it's not going to be happy with somebody who has no sense of humor. You know, they don't, you know, like whoever Will Ferrell is married to does not have to be as funny as Will Ferrell, but they do have to be willing to laugh. You know, so I find that, you know, with a creative, you know, like I'm thinking about my grandmother who was a painter. My grandfather was not but he let her paint. Yeah, yes. that makes a lot of sense. So, no, thank you for that insight. And uh, yeah, David, I could tell you're chomping at the bit here. You said you had a good Circle Four story for <laughs> us. And I know you are married with a son, but I'll let you take your Circle Four story wherever you'd like. But I, I am curious to know, though, about how does that balance work for you with your wife and with your son of 
time to write versus, you know, the time to do the family things, the kind of mundane day-to-day family stuff. But I, I'll just turn it over to you, sir, your, your Circle 4 experience. <laughs> okay, Circle 4. So when I moved to Los Angeles, a friend of mine from my 20s when I was in San Antonio said, you should meet Allison Moore. She's also a writer in Los Angeles. And <laughs> Do I, I thought, need to I bleep out her name? Or is it nah, 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 okay. nah, nah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought, I don't need another writer friend, right? But of course, I checked her out on Facebook and come to find out we had another mutual friend. But I know that the woman from my 20s and the woman I know uh, now didn't know each other. So I was like, how is this possible? And so I, I texted uh, my dear friend. I was like, hey. And she's like, Allison is a goddess. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And she's like, is this a romantic thing or whatever? I was like, no, no, no. Just kind of networking. Somebody mentioned her that I know they didn't know their thing. And anyway, long story short, that friend that I texted eventually invited Allison and I over for a potluck dinner. And, and now we're married. So you talk about crazy circles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, because I don't think I would have pursued any kind of interest or even uh, even in meeting this person, if not for the fact that her circle crossed with two people that did not know each other. And uh, my wife is, like I said, is also a writer. She's actually in my office editing my pages right now. So I have a bit of a cheat code when it comes to that. Now, I dated a writer in college and it was more competitive because you know, you're know you younger and you're trying to get praise and you're trying to ego and you're trying to find some, some way to make that next step. And that didn't work out. But my wife is also, uh, she was a playwright in Minneapolis and, and moved out to LA to transition into TV where they actually pay you. So, you know, we dated and after a few dates, you're at that point where you're like, Hey, um, I think it's time we take the next step. We're going to have to trade scripts <laughs> because if she's not a good writer, I, I can't. Right. And she's the same way. Like if he's a hack, I can't. Right. And uh, so, even worse if they think they're good when they're not. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's, that's happened too. And it's actually, you know, it's actually more intimate than anything physical, I think, because you're really seeing, you know, what uh, somebody who's spent, you know, several years pursuing the craft and the career can do. And we traded scripts and it was like, Whew, all right, sweet. Let's get <laughs> this will work. It's legit. Yeah, it's legit. And we have a great relationship. And she was, uh, you know, she just transitioned into doing animation. In fact, she's a, a co-writer on the new Disney movie, Wish, which is why I love bragging about her. Prior to that, she was on TV. So if like, hey, I'm on draft the next two weeks. And I'm, then I know like, okay, I got to step up in terms of cooking and dishes and, you know, taking care of the sun. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm editing the last of this book. And she's like, got it, right? And, you know, food gets, you know, shoved under the door and the coffee gets refilled. And so it's very like you give that person the space and the time they need to not feel guilty about, you know, potentially, you know, neglecting the family and having their focus on, on the work. And we get that. And, you know, we still do date nights and, you know, sometimes it's like, Hey, can we have a professional date night? Cause I got some ideas. I want to bounce off you or I want to pitch you some stuff or it might be like, yeah, I don't want to talk shop. Let's just, you know, let's go have fun. It's like, okay. So we're really good about communicating on a number of different levels as colleagues and as partners and as friends. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a cheat code. And like I said, she's editing pages for me right now. That's a pretty good deal. It's not bad to have the the built-in editor slash cheat code. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Quick hitters to to end out circle four that I always love to ask. Tarina, I'll start with you. First, like crush, crush in your life. Was there some boy in sixth grade? And oh my gosh, how did you know it was sixth grade? Oh, I'm so glad I guessed that. So, <laughs> first crush and also first celebrity crush. These are quick hitters. Oh gosh, my first celebrity crush. 
Part of me wants to say Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steele, but that sounds really weird. <laughs> that's really good. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, oh, no, 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 no. I know what my first celebrity crush was. See, when you say celebrity crush, I think about like the real human who is a celebrity and not the character. Uh-huh. So my first, like somebody you see on TV crush, I had a crush on the character of Alex P. Keaton. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like from Family Time. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm not that that young. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I totally rocked hard for Alex P. Keaton, not Michael J. Fox, specifically Alex P. Keaton. That's yeah. a great answer, though, because, yeah, I've had that. In, I'm not going to list some of my actually I've in, in solidarity. I will. Oh, man. How I Met Your Mother, Kobe Smulders. Not Kobe Smulders, but Robin Shcherbatsky. Something about her that was very, very appealing. Yeah, like that fictional character. And very quick, what about the sixth grade boy? Who was the first crush crush? You know, I'm going to to go on and say his name because if he ever (laughs) does listen to this and he hears me say his name in this way, he will think it is hilarious. But Brett Duncan. Brett. Oh, Oh, my gosh. It was horrible. I had a crush on him from like sixth through ninth or tenth grades, and I announced it once in front of the class in a piece of writing. Wonderful. Like we were supposed to write basically an essay about something, and I don't even remember what the assignment was, but the first line was something along the lines of, I am in love with Brett Joseph Duncan. Wow. You know, like it was something like, or like Brett Joseph Duncan is a man, but it was something where it was like Brett. And he was like, you had to use my middle name. You know, like, it was so funny. You know, like he was duly embarrassed as any, I think at the time, seventh grade boy would be. Yeah. Uh, and looking back, like there's kind of no wonder he didn't like me because I mean, that is like kind of embarrassing to do like in a class for somebody. But uh, no, but Brett and I actually wound up being real good friends and he wound up publishing a business book years later that was an anthology of essays and had me write one of the essays. So, you know, it was funny because I told my mom, I was like, I was like, who would have ever thought that, you know, at the time we were either in our upper 20s or maybe, maybe like around like 30. And I told mom, I was like, whoever would have thought that Joseph Brett Duncan, it's Joseph Brett Duncan. My gosh, I can't even remember. And he went by his middle name. Joseph Brett Duncan would be publishing a book that I would be in. See, and you said you didn't have a good Circle Four story. That was phenomenal. So I'm so glad I asked. And, and David, for you, quick hitters, first celebrity crush, first crush. First celebrity crush, uh, probably Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. Star Wars rocked my world in third grade. So that's that was easy. <laughs> and then first crush, crush, uh, third grade, Courtney Duncan and Bridget Bennett. Two. Wow, you, that's brave of you, sir. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a player on the playground. There it is. I love it. At once, or did it alternate day by day? Like Monday, Wednesday, Friday? No, you know what? It was like, uh, you know, first half of recess and the second half of recess kind of thing. You know, they hung out at different parts of the playground. So he was kind of, you know, it was a, I was a rambling man. <laughs> Y'all are too much. That's so fantastic. That'll be good to end out Circle 4. Now we'll get into what's going to feel like now a hybrid of Circle 5 and then just kind of collective thoughts on work-life balance. I don't have too many specific questions here because you all did start talking about the publishing world, the publishing circle. So, Tarina, I'll start with you. By labels, you said writer, publicist. Like, what is kind of your professional day-to-day life these days? What are the relationships that go with it? And um, yeah, we'll just start there. Well, I get to make relationships with wonderful people like David and uh, like Anna Dixon James, whom we were talking about earlier, and our publisher, Miette Gillette at Whiskey Tit. And it's funny because part of why I chose this as a later in life profession 
is that um, I thought that it would give me time to write because it's still within the book world, promoting books and that kind of thing. But um, but PR for books, you know, albeit that that you promote them in different places and with different words and different intentions, it still takes time. And you still have to dedicate the time to do a good job and to do right by your clients and that sort of thing. So it's not a, a magic thing of, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to have all this time to write now because the day job is related to books. No, the day job is still a day job. But I do have the benefit of, you know, like David mentioned earlier, um, we've quickly become friends as well. And we do have conversations where the work kind of slips into, you know, um, to business and how we work with publishers and, you know, do you or do you not get an agent, you know, and things like that, which are more of the business side of my writing career than they are the business side of the publicist. And then we do also get into artistic. Like there was that one short story that I wrote, you know, where David was like, tell me, what was the fifth fear? What was it? You know, <laughs> like, don't tell me, I'll figure it out. You know, and the title of the story was Fifth Feet. Of course, the fifth fear is missing from the story. You know, and then also like how David was talking earlier about like the kind of being artistically orphaned and having to leave the nest and all of that. You know, that got me thinking about the themes in David's book because you never turn the artist off. It's not that that's your job. Like I can, I can sort of turn being a publicist off, but then I'll have an idea in the middle and I can get down and jot it down. But that's more workaholism than who I am, you know, outside of who I am being a creative person that, you know, thinks of things at sporadic times. But being a writer is part of my identity. I wrote my first short story when I was five. You know, I, I learned how to read when I was three. After I graduated college, saw my best friend for the first time after college, and she did not recognize me walking across the field. And she said, I didn't know it was you. And I'm like, How? like we've only been out of college like three months. Like what? And she said, you weren't carrying a book. <laughs> right. Exactly. She didn't recognize me. You know, and so it's funny, like um, that writer part of that identity, I do feel like I have finally found a profession that is not so polar from it. You know, like like working at a golf course, there's not a lot of overlap with uh, with creative writing, you know, again, unless you steal into the restroom or sit on top of the Coca-Colas. No, that's wonderful. And um, David, let me uh, turn this question to you because you, if I'm asking correctly or listening correctly, I mean, you are a writer. That is the job. That is what you are doing. And again, I finally want to know, because again, that's such an introverted art form. What's that balance like for you between the introversion, extroversion? And how do you make time for your headspace to be right? Or is that something that doesn't bother you that much? You can just get into the writing stuff? Yeah, I uh, I guess I was like, you know, this, the Stephen King school of, you know, ask the chair black on white in terms of writing. I might be a little bit more ritualized now uh, just to help kind of transition into, uh, you know, a, a better mood or a space or, you know, make sure I got the, the coffee's here, the water is here, you know, the phone is off, that kind of thing. Oh, work-life balance. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I'm going to talk more about my wife because uh, this is part of our work-life balance, is that when we first started dating, you know, this is our second marriage for uh, each of us, and the, you know, the kind of the growl we laid out was, I think I have a bookshelf being delivered. Do I? Yeah. I have a bookshelf being delivered. You're talking about being a writer, <laughs> right? Um, so this is going to be <laughs> delivering, right? Uh, so the wife's handling that. Yeah, I have, and now my dog has gotten wind that other people are here. So, uh, 
I'm going to mute myself and Trina, why don't you fill the space for a couple of minutes? <laughs> what a great episode. I am loving this episode. Trina, the question I will ask, um, and David, if, if things quiet down, I would love for you to chime in on this too. Another uh, real motivator for me making this podcast, I get into this more in my short form episodes, is the idea of collisions of circles. And I, I really do mean that on the largest scale where to bum out the conversation, uh, my mother passed in 2012 from cancer and I was getting into freelance photography pretty well. I was booking weddings a lot. I mean, to give you an idea, a couple asked me to fly to Montego Bay, Jamaica for 36 hours. And then I came back to Connecticut. And then two days later is when my dad told me my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Talk about circle five and circle three, or sorry, circle one, rather, family smashing together. Uh, it doesn't have to be something as jarring as losing a family member, but can you speak to that idea of when other circles of your life may start to really inform your circle five and you wanting to be creative? Has that really occurred for you? After my grandfather died, he was the first grandparent who I lost. Um, I stopped writing. I didn't write for for maybe three years. And, um, you know, it's funny because even though my grandmother was the artist, you know, like he and I would just be sitting out back showing peas and he would just randomly look up sometimes and say, when you're old, write about this, mm. you know, and I never have, but I've written about him in, in other, in other fictional ways, you know, but it's funny because I just couldn't. And then I had a company that I had started that was taking, you know, 60 plus hours of my time. And then, you know, you're dealing with your sorrow and your grief on top of that. And I just stopped. And uh, my mother, I actually had enrolled in the Masters of Fine Arts program. And it was what we call a low resident where you go for just like one to two weeks. And then the rest of it is remote. And of course, this was before COVID. Um, but it was that same kind of hybrid thing that we've all grown used to. And I went to the two week thing and then they had a reading and the whole two weeks, I was like, no way in hell am I doing this? Like, this is not for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm forcing it. Like I'm not like, this is either not the right program or these programs are not for me. And right about that same time, the company was accelerating. Grandpa had died. And I told my parents, I was like, I don't even think I can write anymore. And we were driving home. They'd come to the reading because the university was about an hour and a half from where they lived and um, we were coming home and my mom, she quoted a Bible verse where the Bible says that God's word does not return to him void. And to put that into parlance, you know, for people who may not instantly, you know, realize what that means. It's like if you think about a sound being made, you know, that sound wave never stops. It just continues into space and gets flatter and smaller, you know. And so in that, what my mother meant was you know, like you can say something, you can do something, and you think that it's not bearing fruit right now. You think that there is no outcome, but it will return to you. And, you know, and she's saying that these things do not return empty that we put our hearts into and that we put ourselves into. When she said that, I just felt like it's okay if I don't write for a while, you know, and the only way really that I got back into it, um, now I did write a lot of business articles while I owned the company. And so it's like, again, if that is who you are, you can't hide it. It's like sexuality. Like you can't stop being gay if you are gay. You know, you can't stop being um, uh, like I can't take off my glasses and suddenly see, right. you know, like there are things about us that are just biologically and foundationally who we are. And for me, that is being a writer. When we do lose somebody in our family like that, we are weak and we doubt ourselves. And we also don't think of ourselves. Uh, it took 
me being away from writing for, you know, for, for right at a decade to, you know, yeah, to get back into it. That was so beautiful and so perfect. I am also a follower of Jesus Christ, so I appreciate everything you said. And so I needed to hear that. So thank you for that, Tarina. And uh, David, I, I'll turn it over to you kind of as our little bit of our ending here. I have a couple little quick hitting questions after this. But uh, if you wanted to finish uh, what you were saying about your wife, or if you can speak to that same question about big moments in time where collisions of circles happen. Well, um, my wife and I, you know, when I lived in San Antonio in the early 90s, she was actually born and raised in San Antonio. And we figured out we were both there one summer at one concert. I think we were Soundgarden at the Sunken Gardens in San Antonio. And that was the only time we overlapped while I was in San Antonio. But then, you know, 25 years later, you know, we were introduced by a mutual friend. So, I mean, you talk about life moving in big loopy circles. I've, I mentioned that uh, as a thing in the fountain as well. But uh, same with the work-life balance, just real quickly. Uh, my wife and I, our, our son, is um, uh, he has some challenges. And a lot of these challenges kind of came to light during the pandemic. Uh, and we got some diagnoses that we you know, had to deal with. And there was a little bit of grieving at the time. But then it just it gave us a, a better action plan. And things are the best they've ever been. But for a few years, it was really tough. And we were going through some unsustainable stuff. My son was uh, diagnosed as a bipolar. And uh, some of the other things were masking that. So we you know, had a lot of appointments and we're talking to a lot of people, but the one thing we always did was we always made sure that uh, we call it coffee talk that, you know, before she heads out to work and uh, Matthew goes to school uh, or after he goes, I drop him off at school is that we talk and we're like, okay, where are you? How are you? How's your heart? Where, where's your, where's your head? Uh, what are you preoccupied with? Or we'll do like, Hey, parenting journal. I had a win. Matthew asked me, you know, to hang out with him a little bit. And we actually got through some math homework without him having a fit. Right. Or like, Hey, here's a writer win. I've, I found out this, or just, you know, in general, like, Hey, so-and-so's into town. Do you want to get tickets? And let's go. And then we do the same thing um, in the evening. So even if I, I need three or four more hours to finish a project or she's working on a pitch or something like that, we always connect at least twice a day and to see where things at. So nobody feels like they're being neglected. Right. That's been that's been huge, especially the parenting thing when you want to be there for everything, but obviously you can't. But you need to make sure you share those things so you can kind of your internal chart uh, regarding development is still kind of you know kept up to date. Mm -hmm. So my work life balance, instead of you know trying to do fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred words a day, it would be five hundred. And I found that to be so less stressful than beating myself up where, you know, oh, I can't get out of my chair until I hit 1500 words or 2500 words. And my writing just became richer because I wasn't, you know, pardon the phrase, you know, assholing my way through a scene. I see a lot of writers do that because they want to get to the end of that scene or they want to get to the end of that something. So they don't kind of let it breathe and look a little bit more at uh, opportunities that are missed. Well, a lot of that too is like, I know exactly what David's talking about, but I'm wondering like Mallory, if this happens in the photography community or if listeners who are, you know, dancers or painters or musicians, you know, if it happens in there, but one of the negative things about being in writing circles is that we do have all of these um, sometimes sanctimonious rules that we impart. I hate to say on each other as an industry, but like one of them is that you are supposed to write 1000 words a day. And if you do not do that, you will never make it as a professional writer and you will create writer's block. And it's all of this advice that it gets published in uh, writing craft, nonfiction books. You know, it gets given out at like children's writing camps and places like that. You know, and I wonder, like, it's like we've been talking about the positive nature or just the sheer existing nature of these circles. Maybe it's that whole grass is always greener. When I look at other areas like 
Like my grandmother painting, like when I would go to those art guild meetings, they never said, well, Arlene, you're not a real painter if you don't paint every day. You know, because canvas is expensive. And they knew that she had six children and that those six children had grandchildren. And, you know, like, do you find that, Mallory? Like, within, I realize it's your job to ask us the questions. but No, no, this is wonderful. You know, it's funny because the photography community, what I've noticed is it's full of very, very loving and passionate people because why else would you put the camera to your eye mm -hmm. unless you really wanted to tell a story about something that's in front of you? So it takes a certain type of heart and observation to want to do that. But I think it's the nature of what it takes to survive as a pro full-time artist that you have to be in self-promotion mode 100% of the time. And uh, talk about work-life balance and is something a full-time job or not. I mean, I've learned I like my hobbies now. Right now, podcasting is a hobby, but I love being here with you all. I love sitting down and recording. I don't have that heart to absolutely have to shoot something every single day and absolutely post it to social media to make sure everybody sees the best, newest photograph I've ever taken. So I can relate to that. One of those hobbies for me actually is writing. I love the beast that is the screenplay. <laughs> and so many things, yeah. Oh yeah, David, it's, it's a, it is a beast. And you know, it's similar to what you were saying, Tarina. You know, I see so many uh, pages on social media, so many groups on social media, things like that, that say page count is everything and you must make sure and all this. And same thing, if you're not writing at least 15 minutes a day, you're not really gonna be a screenwriter. And I kind of shrug my shoulders at a lot of that. Because um, my feelings on all of this is, especially in the ways that we're creative, writing or photography, it's, again, it's very introverted work. And if it doesn't ring true to me from my heart, then it's not going to ring true outside of me, which is a weird phenomenon. You know, you can try to write something. I'm sure you all can relate to this. You know, you can try to write something that you think other people are going to want to read. But unless it's well, something that you want to read, yeah. right, is it really going to ring and resonate? I mean, David, yeah, go ahead. No, I know. I know for me, I'm more of a binge writer. Um, yeah. And at one point, I can't remember when it was, I was in my early 40s, I guess. And I decided I was going to take a year off of writing. Um, I think I had my, my first movie had come out and we were having a hard time getting the second one going. I, I can't remember what the, I can't remember what the impetus was, but I said, I'm going to take a year off. And I started making my own barbecue sauce. Uh, I picked up the <laughs> bass guitar. I joined a dad band. Uh, our first gig, we got the cops called on us. Um, it was amazing. Your forties and the cops are just like, oh, okay, you know, go ahead, go ahead and finish the play. And they asked us to play another song, which was amazing. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, we were clearly not punks and it was interesting to feel my perception of things. My focus turned outward as opposed to inward, which is where mm -hmm. you get the introvert. Like I was more in tune with, uh, I was working on a, a 68 Mustang. I was working on it more. I was actually physically doing things in the out, in the outside world and, I can't tell you how invigorating it was to fill the well like that. And then about six months into my year, I got offered a great deal to uh, write this indie screenplay and I got sucked back into it. But I'll never forget that I wasn't writing, but I was probably never, never happier than I had been. And I was cultivating new skills and subject matters that I could then turn around and write about. So there's always a filling the well. Like I get that you need to write, you know, your first million words to get all the bad out of the way. Right. And I get that. And that's the advice you give young writers, right? Every day, right? Because they're more than likely not, you know, if they stop, won't start again. But there's a certain point where I know if I take six months or a year off, I'm not going to forget how to write. I am not going to forget my craft. Right. And at a certain point, you need the special sauce for the craft. Right. I mean, everybody out here can structure a screenplay. We can all go through, you know, recycle dialogue and stuff, but you can have something that pops. Right. And sometimes that comes from inspiration. 
So yeah, I, I think when they say like, you got to write every day, I think that's for young writers. Cause I, I certainly know that I'll go through a summer where I just read other people's works and books on the craft. So. Oh my gosh, this has been so wonderful. We could probably go round and round, no pun on circles. Please <laughs> forgive me for that. Um, you know, speaking about work-life balance, I really appreciate both of you today. And the quick hitter that I end with, and obviously it'll go to both of you, just one word answer. Tarina, we'll start with you. In the next 30 days, I need more blank. Time. Time. David, in the next 30 days, you need more? Coffee. And the reciprocal, of course, in the next 30 days, I need less Oh, gosh, I need, hold on. In the next 30 days, I need less annoyance. Okay, that's what I figured. And usually that answer is the opposite of whatever, you know, you're, you need oh. more of. So yeah, David, how about for you? See, now <laughs> you've already given David the cheat sheet for what he needs. Well, no, I mean, he could say whatever you like, because he needs more coffee. What's the opposite of coffee? I don't know. So David, in the next 30 days, you need less? Less interruptions. There it is. Actually, I just need less interruptions for the next five days. <laughs> Fair enough. See, well, the opposite yeah. <laughs> opposite of coffee would be these little red card tea bags you keep holding. Up. <laughs> I might have to post yeah part a screenshot with that. I don't even think I could do the keyboard to show everybody that. Uh, but my goodness, what a fantastic episode! I'm so glad you all uh, joined me on this experiment of having two guests at once. But I feel like we got in a lot. And uh, the only thing left to do is ask you all if there's any type of project you're working on currently that you'd like to shout out to tell our listeners to look out for. Tarina, anything for you? Something you're writing that's close? Anything that we should look out for? You know, I'm actually, I'm also a binge writer like David, and I'm in between binges right now. So as far as just things that I'm doing, you know, period, I would just look out for more great work from David, you know, on the football oh. side. What a sweet answer. So then David, this what morning. should we look out for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> No, I think that support is sweet. That's a whole different topic of like who supports you, who doesn't. Uh, but so, David, for you, how about uh, any any books coming soon that we should look out for? I'm currently editing my new book, The Butcher of Nazareth, which as Christians, I think you both might find it very interesting. It's a retelling of the origin of Christ as told through the eyes of one King Herod's assassins. You visit oh the midwife that was there at the nativity, the Pharisee that raised uh, that taught, was his teacher, and then you get to meet the family. Uh, this is all happens pre-ministry. So I'm very excited about it. It's coming together, but I've got, uh, I've got five days to get the uh, get finished editing. That is so wonderful. Well, Tarina Elizabeth Bell, I forgot to say your middle name this whole time, and David Scott Hay, thank you so much for joining me on the Circle 5 podcast. After this, I will tell our listeners where they can find you on the net. You all gave me your your socials and, not socials, security numbers. You gave me your social media and your websites. So we're going to end on that nice flub by me. But thank you again for both of you for joining me. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks, Mallory. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Circle 5 Podcast, a conversation with Tarina Elizabeth Bell, writer and publicist from New York City, and David Scott Hay, a novelist from Los Angeles. If you'd like to stay up to date with them and their work, you can find Tarina on the web at tarinaelizabethbell.com or on X, formerly Twitter, with the handle at Tarina Bell. David Scott Hay can be found online at davidscotthay.com and on Instagram with the handle at david.scott.hay.official. Tarina's short story collection, Tell Me What You See, and David's novels, NSFW and The Fountain, are all available for purchase on Amazon. You can also find their parent publisher, Whiskey Tit, online at whiskeytit.com. Links to these sites and outlets are provided in this episode's description. Before I sign off, I'd like to ask you to like, subscribe, leave a review, follow, or do whatever you can to help you stay connected to this podcast. My not-so-subtle goal with Circle 5 is to champion artists and the arts. 
and I look forward to sharing more episodes with you with diverse artists from different backgrounds and disciplines. Feedback for the podcast is welcome. If you have questions or comments, or you personally know an artist that you think would be a great guest, or you yourself are an artist and the topic of the podcast spoke to you, I'd love to hear from you. My email is mallory at circle5podcast.com. That's M-A-L-L-U-R-Y at circle, the number five, podcast.com. Send me a message sometime and I'd love to connect. Thanks again for listening. My name is Mallory Patrick Pollard, and this has been the Circle 5 Podcast, conversations with artists and creative professionals about life balance. God bless and take care until next time.